Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 4 at verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading right away, why don't we, in verse 1 of chapter 4 in the book of Revelation where it says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So then we begin in chapter 4 of this uh, very marvelous and awesome book. Uh, And this creates a transition of sorts between one uh, one movement, you might say, uh, in this book to another movement and uh, another um, uh, series of events, another series of characters. Um, And in some regards, it is kind of hinted at here when it says... uh, Uh, when he says, uh, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. So that is your cue, you might say, uh, that this is something new. This is uh, not only is the event something pretty dramatic here, uh, uh, but uh, it is uh, a cue to the linguistic part of the the, the scriptures here from from the idea that was originated way back in chapter uh, 1 and verse uh, 19, I believe it was, where Jesus himself 
predicted what he was going to say. He says, uh, verse 19 of chapter 1, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. So this is our main outline, if you want to call it that, uh, for the entire book, a grid, you might say. And the grid is a little lopsided, because that first part, uh, the things which you have seen, uh, is um, just chapter 1, and that's it. Uh, But chapters 2 and 3 comprise the things which are. And that's what uh, we've just finished here in these episodes uh, at Feeding the Flock. And we've uh, we've discovered that, uh, that there were those seven letters to those seven churches in those seven cities. And uh, Jesus has, has dictated those letters to those churches for a reason. Uh, maybe it's because they, they not only uh, represent the church at large, uh, they represent perhaps many churches, that were in existence at the time even. Um, And after all, they existed, and maybe there were like-minded churches around um, in the entire region, in the Roman Empire at least, uh, that reflected some of those same strengths and weaknesses and all those things that needed to be addressed. So chapters 2 and 3 comprise the things which are, and those are, those seven letters to those seven churches. And in many regards, uh, they still uh, have application to us today because we are still the church and we still have churches and those churches still have the same kinds of strengths and weaknesses. So with that being said, uh, there is now this new uh, segment, uh, and this is the larger segment. Uh, it goes all the way from uh, chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through the middle of chapter 22 um, at about uh, verse 5, in fact. And um, this, uh, all of that uh, comprises that large and final section of the things which will take place. So these are future things, but before John gets a glimpse into these future things, he is called into a new scene. After all, uh, up until this time, evidently, John has been on earth, and the vision that he has seen has been with Jesus still on earth. And uh, the letters that were dictated to him took place as Jesus dictated them, as he as he told John what to write to those seven churches, and it that scene took place here on earth, and it was a marvelous scene nonetheless, because Jesus made his own supernatural appearance to John uh, in, in that regard. But in this case, this is something dramatic, because it involves movement. It involves a transportation, and that is, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. So heaven is now uh, has an access point, and we don't know what that is or why it happened at this point. Uh, it is not, though, uh, brand new. As we've said before, the book of Revelation is like a, a, a large river and the mouth of that river. And the mouth of the river represents uh, a lot of different tributaries that feed into that large river. And uh, so the source of all the little details, all the chemical makeup of that uh, of the mouth of the river that dump into the ocean, uh, that uh, all the, those uh, uh, things, uh, the silt and everything else, all come from, from various different tributaries. And so it is with the book of Revelation. As we study it, we find that the source of some of these images and the source of some of these things are, uh, they originate way earlier in the Bible and in the Old Testament in particular. And um, 
So it is with this idea of heaven being opened. Um, Ezekiel saw that. Um, It says in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, that's the way the book started. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Now, somehow, uh, Ezekiel was able to see into uh, this this, uh, place we call heaven. Now, more than likely, um, uh, this is what uh, uh, somebody has called the third heaven. I think Paul referred to it as the third heaven. And the reason why is because uh, the Bible uses the word heaven to describe the atmosphere around the earth, the air around the earth, um, the sky around the earth. And then there is the, another heaven that uh, the Bible uses that word, the same word to describe those things in the sky above our atmosphere. That means what we call space. And, uh, and then there is that dimension of things uh, that is beyond this universe, uh, and that cannot be penetrated by by just uh, wishing so. Instead, uh, God has in, in, in his control the portal by which uh, any human being might approach that dimension, and um, Ezekiel got to see it. Um, uh, 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 Isaiah got to see it, uh, and other uh, other uh, Daniel got to see it. But uh, what's interesting is all the way in the New Testament, we find Stephen got to see it. In Acts chapter 7, verse 56, Stephen says this, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen saw this scene, although it was brief and his description was n- not at all close to the details that uh, John was able to see. But uh, the essence of that experience was the same. Stephen, in his martyrdom, had the privilege of an advanced preparation of looking into this dimension where God exists. And uh, um, uh, Paul's testimony himself says that uh, uh, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And he's speaking about his own experience, evidently. And uh, uh, Paul himself, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. And uh, Paul refers to it in the third person, but it's his own experience. And, uh, and he doesn't even know for sure that he was still in his physical body uh, or not, or whether his body, uh, uh, you know, uh, went along with him into that dimension or whether uh, he had left it behind temporarily. Uh, he doesn't even, he's not even aware of what happened exactly, except for the fact that uh, Paul says later he he's not able to talk about those things. But what I'm getting at is that is that this experience is rare, very, very, rare, but it's not uh, unknown in the biblical record of things. And so uh, uh, John even identifies his invitor, (laughs) his invitation, the one who's giving him this invitation. And it's the same And it's the same voice that he's heard before. And uh, that is, he says, um, and uh, I saw a door open in heaven. This portal opens up somehow. And the first voice which I had heard, that first voice was back in chapter 1 and verse 10, as well as 12 and 13, where he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. That's the one he's talking about. So you need to know the context. And in order to know the context, you have to go back a few pages in your book, in the the book of Revelation, in the very first chapter. 
And it also says, uh, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw uh, seven golden lampstands. And he says, uh, in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And we have identified that person as being Jesus in the resurrected, glorified state, and yet he is on earth with John, and he's given John on on earth, this uh, this uh, this revelation of himself, right there in the presence in the dungeon or in the cave, wherever John was on the island of Patmos. But now this new transition take place, where this same voice that sounded like a thunder, I can't reproduce it here because uh, uh, it it gets distorted by the technology, but. Uh, There is something about the piercing quality of Jesus' voice that reminds John of a trumpet, of a call, of of an invitation that is so strong that it cannot be ignored. And he says, come up here and I will show you what must take place afterward. And so this is now this grand introduction into this new scene, this new scenario. And that is where John gets transported into heaven and gets to see future things that have not happened yet on earth and gets to see them from God's perspective, gets to view the screen of advance notice of what is going to happen in human history on the earth in John's future and in our future. We'll be back right after this break. still in chapter 4 at about uh, verse 2. And uh, when uh, Jesus has issued this invitation through this portal in order to see the heavenly realm, and uh, John doesn't see all of heaven necessarily uh, like we might imagine. Uh, John only gets to see uh, what we would call the throne room, but we'll get to that here in a moment. It says, immediately I was in the spirit. Now, John was always in the spirit, uh, even at the beginning of the book, if you go back to chapter one, he was in the spirit then, but he was still in the cave also, or at least in the dungeon or, or uh, whatever uh, contrivance they made, might have had in the, in the prison island of Patmos, uh, and uh, yet he remained there. But here uh, he is transported, and behold, a throne standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. So uh, the fact that he is still in the spirit, but here he is now transported into heaven. Again, we go back to other tributaries earlier in the Bible where this has occurred to um, uh, to significant individuals uh, like uh 
in Genesis chapter 5, we find the description of uh, this fellow called Enoch. And it says, Enoch walked with God in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 5. And then later on in verse, uh, uh, it, it tells how long uh, Enoch lived and uh, talked about his uh, his son and his, his other sons and daughters. And then verse 23, it says in verse 5 of Genesis, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Uh, and we get uh, sort of wrapped up in how many years he lived because it's it's way beyond anything we could ever have imagined as far as our lifespan is concerned and so we can we kind of get distracted by that uh, by that kind of data and uh, and yet we forget and perhaps even diminish uh, looking at the very next verse verse 24 of chapter 5 of Genesis where it says Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him so there was a time in which uh, God just translated or transported Enoch directly into heaven without ever uh, Enoch passing through death itself on earth. And uh, so he may have lived a long time, but guess what? He's still living today, and he was transported somehow supernaturally, and uh, he was just absent. He was gone. He disappeared. And of course, we find another similar kind of story, except uh, it has more drama to it, perhaps, and, and has more detail to it. And that's in Second Kings chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, and this is the story of Elijah and his disciple, Elisha. It says, as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a cloud that is a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a, by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. So Elijah evidently was transported physically into heaven. Now there was there was a conveyance that was described uh, by Elisha that he saw that um, uh, is the best description that he could come up with was that of a chariot and horses by which uh, Elijah was transported into heaven. Now, uh, before we get uh, in too far into uh, thinking about those supernatural things, we got to remind ourselves that it's something similar, you might say, in Acts chapter 8, verse 39 and 40, where Philip has a similar experience, but not quite the same. Uh, but uh, it does fall in the same category, you might say. It says, when they had came up out of the water, this is after Philip had baptized uh, uh, a Gentile person uh, who... Uh, was a part of the royal court, and uh, and the eunuch it says uh, no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. So the Ethiopian eunuch got to uh, um, uh, be led to uh, faith in Jesus by reading the prophet Isaiah, and uh, then uh, just in a miracle sort of way, the Holy Spirit um, transported Philip. Now, now verse forty says, and Philip found himself at Azotus. And uh, 
And as he passed through, uh, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So Philip was transported, but he didn't get didn't get as <laughs> he didn't get as far as heaven. He only went as far as Azotus in uh, Caesarea. Now Paul, of course, uh, we have already referred to him. He was transported also, and uh, he doesn't even uh, know, or he wasn't made aware whether or not the detail about whether or not he took his body with him or whether or not he left his body behind. All he knows, he he saw, he says, uh, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, he says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up in uh, to the third heaven. And uh, I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. So this is Paul's experience. It's the similar experience, a parallel experience as what John is as now uh, doing. And so again, it is very rare, uh, very, very rare, even in a biblical record, and yet it does and it has happened. And so John is there and he sees the throne. By the way, that when people talk about heaven, uh, the Bible really doesn't have a whole lot of description about heaven. It has a lot of descriptions, a lot of details about the the kingdom of the Messiah when the Messiah uh, returns to the earth and what what the Messiah does to rejuvenate the earth and and rebuild the earth and and uh, uh, recomprise the government of the earth. Uh, all of that is uh, has a lot of detail to it. Uh, but uh, but uh, I'm talking about the actual. Uh, abode of God itself in heaven, uh, uh, that uh, that location uh, is only described in terms of this throne room. And uh, otherwise, we really don't know that much about heaven uh, as far as the Bible's description. But we do know this, there is a throne, and at least that's what's described here. That's the vision that John is allowed to see. And uh, although Paul was not allowed to repeat some of the words, John is told about the things that he's going to see that uh, he will write down. So seated on seated on the throne is is the Lord. This is the Lord God, and uh, this is a distinct person uh, from from uh, the one speaking to uh, to John, and that is the one with the uh, with the voice that sounds like a trumpet. That voice is is the one we recognize as Jesus, and yet here. He sees someone seated on the throne. That's where God is seated. And this particular throne is described in a little bit of detail, and, uh, and it's a pretty awesome place uh, to see. Uh, Isaiah saw it in chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling filled the temple. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, uh, he says in verse 9, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Uh, his vesture was like white, like, uh, white snow, and his hair uh, of his head was like 
like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. And so Daniel saw this same scene. He, he has his attention drawn to certain details that John doesn't see and vice versa. And John sees details that these other do not see or they do not describe. That doesn't mean they're in contradiction with each other. It means that they're in supplementation to each other. They supplement one another in the same way, perhaps as as uh, as the uh, four gospels uh, describe Jesus's earthly ministry on earth from four different perspectives. It's not like they are in contradiction with each other. They are in they are complementary uh, to each other by supplementing various different scenes and different words and different sermons and all those things together. They comprise a composite picture of Jesus's earthly ministry. We are the same way with the throne room throne room in heaven. Ezekiel sees the same scene, but again, he says in in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man, and so again, Ezekiel sees the same scene, but it's uh, it's described a little bit differently and described with different words and different metaphors, you might say. But I believe it is the same scene. And so John gets to see something that Daniel has seen, that Isaiah has seen, uh, that Ezekiel has seen, and uh, this is quite a privilege. He says, "He says uh, he was sitting was l- like jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. In appearance, one uh, one is describing a, a clear kind of a crystal, like a diamond, perhaps. The sardius in appearance describes uh, something uh, that was a uh, ruby red kind of in appearance. We're not exactly sure of uh, of uh, what uh, these stones were to begin with, but we are sure." that this was an awesome sight, that it reflected this this glory that only these precious stones uh, might themselves reflect. And so, uh, and notice that he doesn't actually describe the person himself seated on the throne. Uh, instead, he describes the appearance that's there. And that's the only thing he can do is use the language of appearance. And he, and so he says, um, in appearance, and that's what he says there. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. So somehow there was this, this rainbow, but this, I get the idea that this is not just an arc like we visualize in our rainbows after a storm, but, uh, and that in itself, is significant because that is a sign of God's covenant. But this also may be a a reminder of the covenant-keeping God. But this rainbow, I believe, probably was a full circle, and it was green, or at least had this emerald color. And um, so all of these things are awesome to John that he saw there. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. So they're these, they're these that give appearances like human beings seated on their 24 thrones around the main throne of heaven. And uh, we'll get into all this uh, later on in our uh, episodes in uh, the book of Revelation. Thank you, Father, for taking us with John along with him 
to see the things that John saw. And even though his words are words that are just descriptive, uh, descri- describing and, uh, and calling things uh, by his own vocabulary, uh, we get the idea this was an awesome sight to be there in the presence of God himself and to know that he's been allowed this precious privilege of being in the Lord's presence and anticipating what is about to come. Father, I pray that that would, that would cause us to be alert to what is about to come, what may be coming even in our own lifetimes, what may be coming in such a future date that we, we may live and breathe and die and, and someone else take our place before these things transpire. But we look to you because we know you can give us wisdom because we can be in touch with you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>